Well, this whole idea of potentially ruining your life is pretty morbid, isn't it? I mean, when you stop to think about how easy it is to just take a big step in the wrong direction, uh, it's kind of scary, you know, that you can ruin this one and only life that you get. And, and, you know, I'm not talking about the kind of ruin that you often think about when you think about ruining a life, like somebody kills somebody out of anger, right? And, and they spend the rest of their life in jail. Their, their life is just utterly ruined, right? Not to mention those that they killed. Or, or maybe you think of this idea of somebody just taking one too many drinks and then having a wreck on the road and killing an innocent person. I mean, just totally wrecking people's lives and their own included. Or, or maybe just getting entangled into the world of drugs and alcohol and it just becomes a downward spiral for you, just wrecking your life. No, I'm not even talking about the big and obvious ways of wrecking your life. I'm going to talk a little bit about more subtle ways of wrecking your life because I think a whole bunch of us get to this point in our existence where we look back down uh, in our life and we just see a, this sort of this this life full of regret. And, and I think this is true of a whole bunch of us that we, we've seen this, right? Where, where, where people don't end up the person they wanted to end up. Where they didn't become who they wanted to become. And they look back and they go, I don't even know how I got here. I don't even know how I became this type of a person or ended up here in my life. But it happens far, far too often. Where a whole bunch of us end up somewhere where we didn't want to go. And all of us, friends, every single one of us runs this risk of ruining, wasting our lives if we're not careful. And it's easier than we think, right? And so last week we began this series called How to Ruin Your Life in Five Easy Steps. And Pastor Greg brought a great step. If you just want to ruin your life, if you just want to mess it all up, he brought this idea out that says, uh, very, very simple, is that if you want to uh, ruin your life, just ignore uh, the cause and effect of life. Just ignore consequences in your life. Just forget that you reap what you sow. Just think that, that, uh, that, that consequences don't happen to you, that they happen to somebody else. It's true, right? If you want to mess up your life, just ignore the laws of consequences, right? Well, and that kind of leads us to another thought that if you just want to ruin your life, if you're just like saying, hey, Jay, I just would like to mess up everything, like right here at the start, um, here's a great one for you. I think this would just ruin your life, and it would do a great job of just messing you up, and, and uh, you may want to even write this one down, but if you want to mess up your life, if you want to ruin your life, here it is. Refuse to take responsibility. Just refuse responsibility. You may want to write that one down, because that one might come in handy later if you want to mess up your life. But refuse responsibility. Uh, And refusing responsibility, if you think about it, it's a dangerous business. But first and foremost, the reason it is so dangerous is because it relates to our relationship with God himself. Do you realize that God has given you certain things to do and certain things not to do? And when we go against the responsibilities that God has given to us, it's called sin. But here's the deal. I don't even know if you thought about this, but it's not sin that keeps you from God. Do you realize that Jesus died to cover your sin, to make sure your sin doesn't keep you from God? You know what keeps you from God? It's not not acknowledging your sin. It's not acknowledging the responsibility that you haven't lived up to. That's what will keep you from God. As a matter of fact, the book of Proverbs says it like this, very interesting, uh, chapter 28, verse 13, it says, he who conceals his sin does not prosper. But whoever confesses it and renounces them finds what? 
mercy. And so this issue of taking responsibility is a very, very big deal to God. And so I want to begin like this. I, wanna, I want you to ask yourself a question, and I need you to kind of play along with me. It might be a little bit awkward, but, but just help me out. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I taking responsibility for my own life? Really? And that really part is going to be really important in there. It's how you say really matters in this whole equation, okay? So you're going to say like, so am I taking responsibility for my life, really. Okay, so let's try this together. Ready? One, two, three. Am I taking responsibility for my life? Uh, the pause, the pause. You got to take responsibility for your own pause here, okay? You get what I'm saying? Okay, so we need a little bit longer, more dramatic pause. One more time. Here we go. Am I taking responsibility for my life, Really? Yeah, it's much better. Way to go, you know? But th- this question really does matter. Now, I looked up this definition of, of being irresponsible. Right? I looked up the definition of irresponsibility, and, and it's pretty intense. And, and the, the meaning is, is quite big and complex, and I don't know that we're going to get it, but we're going to try, okay? Here's what irresponsibility means. It means lacking a sense of responsibility. <laughs> Not very complex, right? It literally means that that if um, that you are an irresponsible person if you don't take on the responsibilities that you are responsible for. It means that that you aren't living up up to what God has called you to. It means that you're not living up to the person that you're supposed to become. And here's the amazing thing about irresponsibility: um, I can see it in you, and you can see it in me. And if you have kids, listen, if you have kids, you can definitely see it in them. Amen? Anybody? You can definitely see it in your own kids. But like greed or like pride or like selfishness, you know what the problem is? You can't see it in yourself. I can't see it in me, and you can't see it in you. It's just true. And I don't want to make everybody crazy mad or, or, or I don't want this to get all political or anything like that. But, it, but I want to make a statement to you and you just tell me if you think this is true. It just seems to me that our culture is becoming less and less and less self-reliable or self-responsible. Agree or disagree? I think so. Um, honestly, when, when I was a, a, a kid growing up, my parents literally beat this idea of self-responsibility into us kids. I mean, there was four of us, and uh, they worked very hard to make us responsible children. They, they really did. Like, for example, true story, um, you know, there was four of us, right? And uh, I had two brothers and a sister. And when my dad would come home, and he would find that someone did their business on the seat and didn't clean up their business, you know, like had the aim thing kind of off and, and, and left the mess. My, my dad would, true story, he would march all four of us children into the bathroom, all four of us. And, and he would give us the lecture, you know, haven't I told you a thousand times that when you miss your business, clean up your business? And he, he would say, have I not told you that? And we would say, yes, dad, you have. You, you have. And then he would, he would say, well, who did it? Who did it? And I'm gonna tell you right now, in my home, there was no confession. There was no way you were going to own up to anything, especially if you couldn't do your business right. There was just no way. And so we were like, Dad, I don't even know what you're talking about. I didn't see anything. I haven't gone to pee in three days. Yeah, seriously. And, and so my dad would go, so nobody did it? And we'd go right down the line. Nope. 
nope, nope, nope. My dad would walk out of that bathroom, go get a paddle, come back in and spank all four of us. Now, what was funny was this. I probably wasn't the smartest kid around, and I definitely didn't understand the whole guy-girl thing at, at this level, you know, but, but I was pretty assured that my sister had nothing to do <laughs> with the business all over the seat, right? But it was pounded into us that self-responsibility was a value. It was important if we were going to succeed in life. We were taught, act responsibly, no matter what. Accept responsibility for your own life. We were taught that you, listen, that you are the one who will get you where you want to go in life and nobody else. That if you wanted to achieve, if you wanted to go somewhere, if you wanted to have a certain kind of personality, a certain kind of existence in this world, that you had to make it happen. That you had to work hard for that. And it just seems like our society has had a major shift. It just seems to me that we have a culture that says somebody else should take care of us. Um, this is just where culture has gone. And I don't know if I dare to say this out loud um, in society, let alone in church, but, and again, I don't want to be offensive or political about this in any way, shape, or form, but I want you to think about this, what's going on in our culture. Just think about this for a second, okay? Don't be offended. Don't get mad and walk out of here. If you get up now, I'm going to think you're mad and offended. Don't do that, okay? But think about what, what's going on in culture. Last year, last year nationally, nationally, over 40% of all babies were born out of wedlock. Now, some of those might have been on purpose, but the vast majority, the vast majority were born out of wedlock to, to families who could not handle it. And get this, last year, in urban cultures like Metro Detroit, the numbers topped 80% of all children in urban cultures were born out of wedlock. And get this, studies show that 90% of all the children born out of wedlock, their mama is on welfare in some way. Their mama is taken care of in some way by the rest of us. And so, in other words, it's kind of like this. I didn't have any of the responsibility for making that baby, but somehow I bear the responsibility of helping to take care of that baby. Now, please hear me out before you get all mad and thinking I'm judging you and I shouldn't be saying these kinds of things. If you bring this kind of stuff up, you're the one who's irresponsible, right? But I don't think so. I think we need to think about this purposefully. My point is that in somehow and in some way, our culture has begun to celebrate irresponsibility and has paved a way for that. And as a culture, here's where we've, we've kind of gone. And you can tell me if I'm wrong, but, but this is what I'm seeing in culture. We, we've come to this idea that says, I have the right to be irresponsible, but you don't have the right to hold me accountable for it. As an American citizen, I have the right to do what I want, when I want, where I want, with whoever I want, and produce whatever kind of mess I want. And you have no right to hold me accountable for it. As a matter of fact, at the very same time, we're being told that the, by the irresponsible that the responsible have to pay the bill and clean up the mess. Now, again, this isn't meant to be judgmental or political in any way. You, you just have to admit that this is where our society has gone. This is where culture has gone. Act any way you want, and we'll clean up the mess. Act any way you want, and we'll pay for it. Become addicted to something, and we'll pay for it. 
become in debt over your head, and we'll pay for it. We'll bail you out. Um, don't educate yourself. We'll pay for it. Let your health go. We'll pay for it. The rest of us will pay for it. And, and, and am I right? Do you, does anybody else see this in society, or am I just way out there? I think this is where we're going as a society. Um, and, and you know what one of the major problems with irresponsibility is? I want you to think deeply about this for a second. Irresponsibility is deeply contagious. It's deeply contagious. You, you see, when, when somebody who is responsible sees somebody who is irresponsible getting rewarded for their irresponsibility, the responsible suddenly say, well, why am I being responsible? I, I got to admit it. When, when I see somebody who has been completely irresponsible f- with their life getting by just fine, I think to myself, what's wrong with me? Why am I working 70 hours a week? Why am I doing without why, am I, why have I been saving like a miser all of my life? I, I literally start to think, am I the one who's a fool? Or am I crazy to think this? See, but you, you see this going on, right? This is our society, but an irresponsibility is contagious. So here's what I mean. My oldest son, Zachary, um, he's 16, and he's started into college already and all that stuff, and we've been trying to figure out how to pay for college, and college is crazy expensive. And, and so um, we're in this whole deal, and, we, and Zachary's done very, very well for himself, and he's got good grades and good testing and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we were researching all of this, And we were kind of getting excited thinking, okay, there are some government grants. Have you heard of this? Like uh, grants from the federal government, state government, um, that they kind of really liberally give to everybody, which is really a great thing. And so we were thinking like, wow, Zachary's going to get some help for for college, help pay for college. And, And it's amazing because you can earn, in our country, a lot of money and still get grants or helps to go to college. You, you really can. It's pretty, pretty amazing. And so we were getting pretty excited about this until we came to this line on the form. And it was like buried on page like 17 or whatever it was. But it was this little question. It says, do you have any assets? And I was thinking, yeah. <sighs> Slow people. <laughs> so this idea of assets, right? And you know what assets are. Assets are your savings. It's your investments, right? You started saving when you're young for your old age, and so you got some savings. They're called assets, right? And so we found out that since Lynette and I have been saving since we were first married for our retirement, that our son was completely disqualified for any help for college. And so we were at these colleges, and we were talking to the financial aid type of people, and and I say to them, true story, I say to them, I say, so let, let me get this straight. Based off of our income, And based off of Zachary's testing and scores and the way he's performed, we qualify for these government grants. And they said, absolutely. Then I say this, but since we have a little savings, he doesn't. And they say, absolutely correct. That is the truth. And and then I say something like this. I say, but what if I was like my neighbor? And I said this to him. I said, but what if I was like my neighbor who has the same income as I do, who lives in basically the same house as I do, whose kid maybe didn't even perform as well as my kid, but let's just say I was irresponsible like my neighbor, and I drove fancy cars all of my life. If I went to Hawaii every year, bought $100 tennis shoes, Um, my wife wore expensive makeup and all that stuff, and let's say I denied myself very little and I bought toys and boats and, you know, all the toys of life. And I did the irresponsible thing 
and didn't save a penny for my old age. Would my son get some help then? And listen to what they said. They said, <laughs> they said Mr. Shasso, which I like being called Mr. Shasso, um, they said, that is correct. Then they said this little line. It blows my mind. They said, our system, listen, this is exactly what they said. Our system does not re reward responsible behavior like yours, Mr. Shasso. Then they literally said this. Maybe if you just go out and blow some of your savings, you might be able to catch up and get some help. Now, this is about as crazy as it comes. You do it right... And our society doesn't reward you. But you do it wrong, and we reward you. Is anybody else seeing that? Or is it just me? Does anybody else find this at least a little odd? Yeah, I, I think it is, you know. So irresponsibility is rewarded, and you know what you get when, you re, uh, uh, when something is rewarded? Come on. You get more of it. And, and irresponsibility is rewarded, and so our society gets more of it every single time. And this is true of individuals. This is true in families. This is true in a culture. And this is true even as a nation. And this is why so many of you seem to be so concerned about the direction of our nation because we're rewarding the wrong things and we're getting more and more of the wrong things. Now, and now that I've already like ticked off half of you and offended the other half and all that, I might as well let you in on another little secret about irresponsibility. You ready for this? Here's another secret about irresponsibility. Irresponsibility is costly. It's not a neutral thing. It doesn't just cost you. It costs somebody else every single time. Irresponsibility always has a price tag to it. And you're not the one picking it up. Irresponsibility costs parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles and society at large. It costs the rest of us every single time. Time. In essence, what we say with irresponsibility is this, is that you can go ahead and pick up my mess. You can go ahead and pick up my tab. Now, I tried this little parenting experiment this week at my house. I wouldn't necessarily recommend this as a parenting technique. Okay, I just, little disclaimer there. But I just want to play some mind games with my kids and see where they were at in life, right? And, and so uh, when my son, my oldest son, he left all kinds of stuff on the bathroom floor and the whole deal, you know, and, and I walk in, I'm like, golly, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And so I called Zachary into the bathroom and I said, Zachary, are all these clothes yours? Yes, dad. And you know what he does? Good son. He starts to pick them up. I said, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. Don't touch those clothes. He looks at me kind of funny. I say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go get your mama. Huh? Yeah, go get your mom. And when she gets here, I want you to ask her to pick up all this stuff. And he goes, what? Yeah, yeah, I want you to go get your mom. She's upstairs. Go get her or wherever she's at. And I want you to ask her when she gets here to go pick up the stuff for you. And you know what he does? This is funny. He laughs out loud. I mean, he literally laughs out loud. And he thought I was the craziest old man ever. And he's like going, Huh? I don't, and he's laughing out loud. And why was he laughing? Because he knew it was his responsibility. And that he knew that his irresponsibility would cost somebody he loved, his mom. So I tried this on my 13-year-old who was going on 21. And, uh, 
my, my girl, my, my girl Maddie. And, and so she left all this stuff. And I, I was thinking, well, that was interesting. I mean, we're at least heading in the right direction here. At least he realizes, you know, the cost. And, and so uh, Madeline comes in, and, and she left all this stuff all over the bathroom counter and all this. And I said, Madeline, come down here. So she's upstairs. She comes all the way down. And I said, Madeline, is all this stuff yours? And she says, yeah, Dad. And she starts to clean it up. And then I, I say, no, hold on. Don't touch that. Did the whole deal. And I said, I want you to go find your mom and go get her and come in here. So this time, I don't tell her what I'm going to have her do. I just say, go get your mom. So she goes, okay. And so she goes and gets mom. Mom comes in. Lynette comes in. And we're all standing there. And I said, now, Madeline, I want you to ask your mom, Lynette, I want you to ask her to pick up your mess. And they both look at me like I'm crazy. And, And guess what they did? Both of them at the same time literally started to laugh out loud. Literally just started to laugh out loud. And and why was that? Because they knew that irresponsibility could not be rewarded and that it would cost somebody else who was innocent, somebody else who didn't deserve the cost. Now, now friends, so so here's the point. Um, Some of you are going, well, that's not probably the best parenting technique, maybe. But I'm going to tell you something. I want my kids to know that nobody else is going to get them to go where they want in life. Nobody. It is up to them. And I want them to know that the irresponsibility dishonors the people around them, and it dishonors God himself. That it's ungodly to act like that. That it does not bring honor to God, and it's not who they were created to be. I want them to know that they, if they don't act responsible, that they are asking somebody else to pay the bill for their irresponsibility. And so here's the point. We live in a culture where if we ask, well, who's responsible for this? Have you ever done this? Like in your home, in your work, in your, in your neighborhood? Or what? Who, who made this? Who did this? Who, why, who, who took this? Who damaged this? Whatever. What do people say? I don't know. I don't know. It wasn't me. Right? And we pass the blame and we shift the blame and, and it gets pointed all the way around. We live in a, a culture that says, well, I don't know. Somebody else did it. But before we get all high and mighty and we start saying, okay, I wish those people would act a little bit more responsible, before we start putting fingers on people, I think we need to be honest and admit that sometimes those people are us people. That this isn't just their problem. This is a universal problem to humanity. That we shift the blame. That we point at somebody else for their irresponsibility while ignoring our own. We expect somebody else to clean up our mess. And you go, well, no, no, I'm a pretty responsible person. No, 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 we make messes. We make financial messes of our life. And we expect somebody else to carry that burden. We make emotional messes. We make sexual messes. We make relational messes. And we expect our children to carry the cost and our neighbors and our friends and our church and our society and everybody around us. So maybe we ought to be a little more careful about pointing fingers at anybody until we point them right here. Amen? Anybody with me on this? Now... I'm going to tell you something. I, I guess if maybe if you're not a Christian, you're kind of maybe off the hook. I don't know. Um, but maybe not. I mean, if, if there's a God at all, then that means that we are not responsible ultimately to our mamas or our daddies 
or our grandparents or to our friends, to our neighbors, to the, to the government. You know who we are ultimately responsible for, too? To God. We're ultimately expected by God to rise to the level for which he created you. Come on. Somebody needs to say, whoa. Yeah. We are expected to rise to the level for which God created you. And we need to stop making excuses for not getting there in our life. You you are responsible to God for the one and only life that you have. So this means something. That Christians, and that would be some of us in this room, ought to be the most responsible people out there. We ought to be the people paying our bills, paying our child support, insuring ourselves. We, we should be saving for our future. We should be the best performers in our work environment. We should be the most responsible where they look at us and they go, Ooh, I want him on my team. I want her on my team. I want her in my employee. Because we're the most responsible people out there. Why? Because we realize that we are not just responsible to society, but we've connected the dots where, where, where our irresponsibility costs those around us. And God says, don't do that. And ultimately, we are responsible to him. So here's what I want, yeah. And so here's what I, I got two people agree. It's pretty awesome. Um, and so I want to do something. I want to take us into the Bible today, and I hope that you're willing to track along with this. This is an amazing thing. It's right at the very beginning of the human experience. And it, and it's, and it teaches us right away that this, um, this notion of irresponsibility is ingrained in us right from the very beginning of humanity. This will blow your little mind right here. Uh, and many of you are familiar with this. It's Genesis chapter 3, and it's a story of eating the forbidden fruit. Anybody familiar with this? You've heard this story before? Um, And I understand there are all kinds of opinions on Adam and Eve, like, you know, is this just a metaphor, or is this like really real? Are these people real, or is it just like some story for a point, you know? Um, Let let me tell you something. Uh, I believe this is a real story. These are real people, and there are all kinds of real reasons why I trust the validity of Scripture. We've preached about this a hundred times around here. We've taught about it, and you can go and find out why we believe the validity of Scripture. And ultimately, I want to tell you something. Jesus believed that Adam and Eve were real. He spoke about them as if they were real people who lived a real life and who had a real connection with God. And so if it's good enough for Jesus, then I'm just going to say it like this, it's good enough for me. But, but... But I get it. Some people might not be there, and you might be going, I'm not really sure. But even if it's not real, I want you to think about the wisdom of this. I want you to think about the depth of meaning of this, because it means a whole lot to us. Now, check this out. Um, I think we're going to just read part of Genesis chapter 3. I'll set it up a little bit, and then we're going to talk about one of the best uh, steps that you could ever do to ruin your life. Okay, this is a wonderful way to ruin your life, all right? So Genesis chapter 3, the creation process has come to an end, right? And God made the whole world, and he called it good, remember this? And then he created man, and he said man was good. And, and then he sees that man was alone, and he said it's not good. And so he created a helpmate, a woman called Eve, right? And he gave Eve to Adam to be his wife, right? And they come together, and, and they're in charge over all of creation. That's an amazing thing. They're in charge of the whole thing. And it's interesting. At this point, there are no rules. There are no regulations. There are no laws. Um, but, but they're given a ton of responsibility. No rules. Just a ton of responsibility. I mean, uh, and, and along with this responsibility and no rules, there came a lot of freedom. You realize that they were running around naked. Glory to God. 
right? I mean, you talk about freedom. They were experiencing freedom, right? And yet, um, it doesn't end too well. There, there's a marriage between freedom and responsibility, between rules and responsibility. Maybe we'll get into that a little bit later another time. But, but so God gives them near absolute freedom except for one thing. There were, I guess there was one rule. They were told not to touch a certain tree. Y'all remember this? They were told not to touch a certain forbidden fruit. They said anything else, God said anything else you want is fine. The whole earth is yours. The whole stinking earth is yours. Take care of it. Be responsible for it. But there's one rule. Just one rule. Don't touch this one tree. Now, anybody have kids? You tell your kids, you can do all of this, but there's one thing you can't do. What are they going to do? It does not end well, okay? And so God gives them this freedom, and then here's what it says. Genesis chapter 3. I'm just going to kind of read it to you because I want to set this up for you. I want you to know what happened here. It says the serpent, who we learn is the Satan character in this, okay? Uh, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals, and the Lord God gave um, that the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat of the fruit from any of the trees of the garden? Pause. Is that what God said? No. He said one tree. So he's already changing the story of God, right? So check this out. Uh, Verse 2, it says, of course we may eat from the fruits of of the trees in the garden. The woman replied, verse 3, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it or you will die. Well, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. The servant replied to the woman, God knows uh, that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced of this, and so she saw that the tree was beautiful, and the fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. And so she, what? She took some of the fruit, and she ate it, and then she gave some to who? Her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. Verse 7, at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt ashamed, right? They felt shamed at their nakedness. And so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Now, I just kind of wanted that to be the setup. Okay, that's, that's not the real lesson, but that's just sort of the setup to the teaching that God wants for us to, to get today, okay? So um, sin enters humanity, right? And so the God-man relationship, you just saw it. It broke for the first time. Think about that. The first time you ever were lied to by your kid or to somebody that you trusted. First time. And God's going, what are you doing? What is wrong with you? We didn't make this deal. This isn't what we created, what we started. Now check this out, verse 8. When the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking among the garden or in the garden. And so they what? They hid from the Lord God among the trees, which is really a dumb idea. Hey, honey, I think we messed up. Let's hide from God. Really? Yeah. But before we laugh at them, you ever sinned? Have you ever done anything really dumb? Yeah. Yeah. So it says this, verse 9, the Lord God called out to man, where are you? Now, God knows where they're at. You think he's like, like I just don't see you. Hide and seek, right? No, 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 no. It's like when my dad lined us all up and he gave us a chance to repent, right? 
He was giving him a chance to come clean. God knew exactly. He was just saying, I'm giving you this one chance to fess up, to take what? Responsibility. To take responsibility for your life. Verse 10, it says, God asked and he replied, uh, man replied, or uh, man replied, Adam replies, I hear, I heard you walking in the garden and so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Right? Verse 11, who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat from? You know, God is holding Adam accountable at this moment. He says, I've given you all kinds of responsibility and I've given you all kinds of freedom to go with it. But the one rule I give you, the one lousy rule I give you, you can't seem to manage. And you know what? It's amazing how Adam responds to this. He says, Adam, Adam says, yes, sir, God, totally responsible for this whole deal. Keep my wife out of it. Wasn't her fault, my fault. I just want to protect my wife's good name. Now, the reason some of you are not laughing is because you have not read your Bible. If you read your Bible, you would know that Adam had quite the opposite reaction. Here, here's what happens, right? Um, so God asks him, you know, holds him accountable in this moment. He says, I, have you eaten what I told you not to eat? And then the re- man replied, and this is an incredible thing. The man says, it was the woman you gave me. And so listen to this. In one sentence, he puts the blame on the entire rest of the world. Think about it. There's a woman and there's God and him. And he says, this one-third of the pie is not the fault. It's the woman you gave me. I was just doing fine. I was doing fine. Me and the animals, we were fine. We were doing okay. And then you had to give me a stupid woman at that. I mean, I didn't ask for her, right? So what is he doing? He's shifting the blame. He's shifting the blame. And then he says, so he he goes, you know, she's made an unbelievable mess of everything. I'm going to have to clean this whole thing up. And he says, it's really your fault and her fault, so you two go work it out. And he says, well, it's the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I happened to eat it. I mean, it was, I mean, how can a guy resist like that, you know? So he's making the whole blame game, right? And it doesn't get any better with the woman because God turns to the woman in, in verse 13 and says, well, then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And guess what she does? The serpent deceived me. That's why I ate it. She says, it's not me. She, she, she shifts the blame, right? She blames the serpent. And the serpent says, um, hey, whatever. Whatever. I'm happy to take the blame. I love it when a plan comes together, right? He's like, I'm, I'm totally into this. I'll take the blame all day long. Now, doesn't this explain conflict in your marriage? I mean, seriously. Doesn't this explain a whole lot about conflict in, in, in our world today? You, you, you see, one of the very best ways that you can ruin your life is play the blame game and play it all the time. Whenever life gets hard, whenever like push comes to shove, whenever you know you've messed up, just play the blame game. You, you think about your own marriage. You think about your own past marriages. You think about your relationships that you're in. You think about any human interaction. Is it any wonder why the, why the Bible records this story at the very, very beginning? Because it's been part of the human experience from the very beginning. It's been the blame game forever. It's not my fault. It's her fault. 
I mean, it's a little bit my fault, but it's mostly her fault. I mean, I, I, right away, it's the blame game. And, and here's another secret I think that we already know about irresponsibility, but you may want to write this down because it'll help ruin your life. Um, irresponsibility creates conflict. And, and you see this at work when somebody in your department doesn't own up to their mistake. What happens in the department? There's ca- conflict. There's chaos. There's, there's, there's a lack of unity, Right? You look at this in a marriage or a family or, or, or with your kids. When, when one of the kids doesn't take the blame, what happens in your home? Come on, what happens in your home? Is there more joy? Is there more peace? Is there more goodness or less? Come on. Less every single time. This is what happens with all of humanity. Uh, where, the, where there is the blame game, there is no joy. Where there is the blame game, there is no peace. Where there is the blame game, there is no love. There is no stability. There is conflict each and every single time. When somebody, think about this for a second. When somebody uh, in your company, or maybe somebody in a marriage, or in somebody in a circle of friends, or a family, or a neighborhood, or a church, or in a nation even. If they step up to the plate, now think about this for a second. If they step up to the plate, and they say, you know what? I am responsible for this. I mean, it may not be all my fault. There are probably other factors involved, but I'm going to take responsibility. Something powerful happens, right, when that happens. Anybody ever seen this? Do you have more or less respect for that person? More. Every single time. You know what happens when when somebody steps up and says, maybe it's not all my fault, but I'm going to take responsibility for this. You know what happens? Conflict dies. Joy starts to return. Stability begins to creep into the home again. When we step up to it, Something miraculous begins to happen. But irresponsibility leads to, yeah, uh, irresponsibility leads to, to blame, that leads to blame is one of the best ways to ruin your life. Let me ask you something. If you have, do you have more respect or less respect when somebody says it wasn't me and you darn well knew it was them? You have less, right? Every single time. Um, do, do you have more or less responsibility when someone shirks their responsibility, or more or less respect when somebody shirks their responsibility? Less. I don't know anybody who goes out and says, you know what, I see that you're so irresponsible. I see that you're so good at manipulating and like spreading the blame around and skirting your responsibility and skirting the real issues. You know what, I want to be your friend. Nobody does that. Nobody would say, you know what, that's the kind of guy I want to marry. That's the kind of woman I want to marry. Nobody does that. Nobody says to their like 12-year-old son and goes, that's the kind of friend I want you to have right there. Nobody does that because we know the conflict it will create. We know the destruction that, that, it, that it will reap in their lives. Nobody goes and looks at a man who has been completely irresponsible and says, you know what, I'd like for you to come work for our company and I'm going to pay you more than everybody else. It just doesn't happen, right? Because we know that it brings destruction. Blame usually leads to conflict. Not always, but in this context, shifting the blame, shifting responsibility, it never leads you to the greatness that God wants for your life. Never. Never. When you own it, you grow. When you own it, you become more like Christ. 
And God has a pathway to work into your life. And so if you want to ruin your life, start with the blame game. But there's one other one I'm going to throw at you real quick. Um, because this one's a genius. If you want to lo- ruin your life, um, here's what you got to do. You, you just got to play dumb. I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea what you mean. I didn't know. I did not know I was supposed to do that. I have no idea why the house burned down. None. I have no idea. No idea. I have no idea where all this debt came from. I don't know what my wife's doing. She's out of control, obviously. It's not me. I, I have no idea. You want to ruin your life? Just play dumb. I don't know how my kids became so wayward. I don't know how my kids didn't achieve much. You want to ruin your life? Just play dumb. Act like you don't really know. As a matter of fact, I want to take you to one of the most amazing sections of Scripture ever. This blew my mind when I read this this week. Exodus 32. And you may remember the story. Moses had led the people out of Egypt. They were rocking in a row and they were following God. And remember this? You guys all remember this story? He's leading them in, in, in the whole deal. They, they make this camp. And Moses says to the people, I'm going to go and visit with God. I'm going to go seek God. And he goes out for how many days? Anybody remember? 40 days. He goes up into the mountains for 40 days and he comes back with the Ten Commandments. Does this ring a bell with anybody? Okay, good. And, and so this is Exodus 32, right? And when he comes back, the people, remember, he's only gone for 40 days, but the people are partying like it's 1999. I mean, they're just like going for it. They're dancing and drinking and doing all this wild, crazy, evil, sexual stuff, and, and it's just completely out of control, right? And they had made this golden calf. Anybody remember this? They made this golden calf and they were worshiping and bowing down to it and they were calling it God. And Moses had only been gone for how many days? 40 days. So how do you think Moses reacts when he comes back to this? Have you ever as a parent come back and your kids are like crazy and you only are gone for like two hours and the whole thing is destroyed? Anybody? And you go, what? Right? How do you think Moses would reacted? Well, not very Good. Right? Um, so he left, he left Aaron in charge. Now, who's Aaron? Aaron was his brother. Uh, Aaron was the priest of God. He was supposed to be representing the people to God and God to the people. Uh, he had a big responsibility. He leaves Aaron in charge for how many days? 40 days. And the people go nuts. And Moses can't believe this when he gets back. And he's thinking, man, these people must have really put Aaron in a bad spot for Aaron to allow all this to go on. So let me read this to you. This is amazing. Um, chapter 32, verse 21, it says, Finally... He turned to Aaron. So he sees all this mess and he's like freaking out. And he turns toward Aaron, the high priest, and he, and he demands, what did these people do to you to make you bring such a terrible sin upon them? So he's like going, man, they must have beaten you. They must have like taken your family. They must have threatened you or something, right? Now listen to Aaron's reply. Just blow your way. He says, Don't get so upset, my Lord. Now pause for a second. What's going on here? Moses is his brother. Anybody have a brother? Anybody? How many of you go around calling him my Lord? You don't do that? No, and neither did Aaron. But in this case, he's, what is he doing? He's buttering up my Lord, my friend, Obi-Wan Ben Kenobi. You know, what, like, he's like, he's like, what's he doing? He's, he's buttering them up. He's trying to soften them up. He calls him my Lord, right? And then check this out. He says, and then he makes a classic move to the blame game. Just a classic shift, right? He goes like this. He goes, well, 
You yourself, you know how evil these people are. I mean, come on. I mean, you, you can't do anything with these people either. You've been trying to lead them for all this time. They're crazy rednecks, right? It's not my fault. These people are the people that you were supposed to figure out and to lead them. They shouldn't have been such a mess when you handed them to me. Right? So he shifts the whole blame, right? In verse 23, it says, they said to me, <laughs> listen, so Aaron's now giving his rebuttal. He's trying to give Moses the line, right? He says, they said to me, make us a God who will lead us. Uh, we don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us out from the land of Egypt. I mean, like, you can just see Aaron going, I mean, Moses, come on, they did have a point. You were gone for a full 40 days. I just think that's very funny. I don't know. And, and so, um, you were like on like a spiritual vacation or something, Moses. What are people supposed to do, right? So he says, verse 24, so I told them, eh, I don't know, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. I was thinking they would never do it. I was thinking that they would like, they would never give up their gold to me. But I just said, take off your gold. And guess what? They started taking it off and throwing it at me. It wasn't my fault. I never even thought it would happen at all. Check this out. He says, so when they brought it to me, I didn't really want it. So I threw it in the fire. So I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. Whoa! I mean, who would have guessed it? It was like a miracle. I mean, it was like it had to be from God because I did nothing at all. I just threw the gold in there, and it just, whoa, out came a calf. Can you see Moses going, huh? And you see the whole deal, right? He's just playing dumb. I don't know how it happened. It wasn't my fault. I have no idea. I was fine. I just had this little barbecue fire thing going on over here. People started throwing jewelry in there. And how came this calf? Just play dumb. Yeah, evolution. <laughs> so check this out. Listen, here's what we say. We say, I have no idea how this happened. I have no idea how I became 30 and have no education. I have no idea how I became 40 and have no pathway to a career. I have no idea how I became 50 and my life was a mess and my children were wayward and I've been through three divorces and my health is totally gone. I have no idea how I became 60 and haven't saved a penny for retirement. And we think it's somebody else's fault that we never rise to the level that God has called us to. We just play dumb. It's a great way. Listen, if you want to get nowhere very, very fast, hear me, friends, just play dumb. But listen, you are happiest, though, when you take responsibility for your own life. You were created for responsibility, not rules. You were created for responsibility. We all feel better about ourselves when we own it, when we take responsibility, and when we have responsibility for things. We feel better. Now, listen, I can tell you for a man's point of view, I don't know, I'm not a woman, so I can't really speak to that, but I'm guessing it's the same for you. You feel better when you're taking care of yourself. You feel better when you're taking care of your family. You feel better about yourself when you have a job to go to and you're performing and people look at you and, like, I'm saying for a man, like, you, people look at you and go, man, that guy's good at what he does. You feel better about yourself. And, and women, I'm guessing it's probably the same for you. When you feel like you got something going on in life, 
Friends, we shouldn't get to 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 and 70 and go, how did I get here? I have no idea. I I guess I just couldn't catch any breaks. Really? Really? This is, listen, we were made for responsibility. This is why uh, it bothers you when you don't have a job. This is why it bothers you when you don't feel like you have a purpose. This is why it bothers you when, when you're not serving and you know that you're needed somewhere else. This is why it bothers you because God created you to step up to the responsibility. To, to responsibility. Let me tell you something. Greatness will never happen when, when you think my life is, uh, isn't turning out the way I thought it was and it was somebody else's fault. Greatness will never happen when, when, when you think I just can't catch a break. Greatness never happens when, when you say somebody else should do it or will do it. Somebody else will give it or somebody else will serve at it. Greatness never happens when we say I will do it later or it's not my my job or it's too hard or it's too long of a road greatness won't happen like that greatness happens when we step up and we say God this is my one and only life and I accept your call for my life and I'm going to live everything every every part of who I am is going to live towards you and I'm going to do the best that I can to honor you amen so we go back to Proverbs 28 We read this verse earlier, and it says this. um, He who conceals his sins does not prosper. They don't do well in life. Things don't go well for them. When you shirk your responsibility, when you conceal and say, ah, it's not for me, somebody else. I want to play video games, watch football, mow my lawn all day, every day. It says, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds what? Mercy. God is merciful. And he expects us to own it. You can't overcome the mistakes in your life until you own them. And so the question is still, am I taking responsibility for my life? Really? Really? Am I taking responsibility for who I am becoming? That's the question. So, Father, we... uh, I think most of us say we don't want to ruin our life. And so God, reveal to us, convict us, move us, challenge us, shape us, push us to greater levels, Lord. Help us to stop being lazy and irresponsible with our one and only life. Do something great inside of us. Do something great. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.